Welcome to another week of Don't Be Look Up, uh, where we talk to operators in commerce to see how they are using data to make business decisions. Uh, and this week we have Ben Detter from Power Digital. Super excited to have him. Uh, I'll let him make his own introduction. So without further ado, Ben, I'd love to just kind of get to know who you are and um, how you got to your role today. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, it's a great name for a podcast, by the way. Uh, Thank it's you. Funny. So, yeah. yeah, Ben Dutter, Chief Strategy Officer at Power Digital. Um, I have wound my way through brand side and startup and agency, and a couple of years back uh, landed at Power and haven't looked back. Love it here, and I've really seen the transformation over the last couple of years, and um, it's grown a lot and my role has elevated and grown as well. So that's been exciting for me personally, but it's been great to see and uh, power kind of emerge as a, a leader in the space when it comes to uh, being business savvy growth marketers rather than just, you know, expert media buyers or expert SEO practitioners. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. You guys have definitely made a name for yourself. I don't think I knew that you uh, came from the brand side. What, uh, what brands did you work with? Yeah, nobody that you would know probably these days this is an ancient history. Um, when I so I originally always wanted to go uh, into the military as a young a young lad, uh, and so I had no college plan. I never took the SAT. That was my uh, mission in life, and ended up uh, due to contract things with with the army at the time didn't work out. Long story, and so I said, you know what, I'm just going to go to my local community college. Uh, I get my associate's degree and work at Best Buy as a floor mm. salesman. So I was a floor salesman at Best Buy, door-to-door -door salesman, selling solar panels, just however I could make money to pay rent <laughs> and uh, college, which was, you know, fortunately very affordable because it was just a community college. But met my wife at college, which changed my life. Um, met my first employer when I was working at Best Buy. A guy came in and, and basically hired me on the spot to come and help him do his Amazing. marketing. Uh, and that's how I started. So a little indie family owned startup and basically learned on the job with him and then kind of worked my way up to bigger uh, businesses and yeah, just kind of evolved through the e-commerce space. But after a couple of brands, I was pretty bored with brand side. No offense to my brand practitioners out there. Uh, nothing but love. But just for me personally, I needed the chaos of agency life uh, to kind of keep me excited. So that's where I ended up uh, kind of angling in my career path. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, yeah. We were just talking on a previous podcast about how most people don't uh, like dream of growing up to, to be a marketer. I feel like in like our uh, childhood, like demographic, it just wasn't like the sexiest job to be like, Oh yeah, I'm going to be a marketer. But um, I think today it's, it's becoming more of a, a trend. So awesome that you were able to kind of back your way into that. Yeah. The um, old, uh, the old funny saying was like, marketing is where artists go to die. Um, which is like sad, but I've definitely seen that where people who they're like, I can't make any money as an artist. So I'm going to go and work in ad creative or whatever. Um, very, very true more so 10 years ago, but yeah. Yeah, no, it's a fun, it's a fun career. I wouldn't do anything else. I think it's the only place where you can combine art, science and psychology so consistently. And that's what I really love about it. So true. Yeah. And, and maybe 
<clears throat> double clicking on the on the science part of that when did you uh can you maybe just talk about like your transformation on the data side of marketing and um you know how you you kind of first saw it and and uh continue to grow that out yeah for sure yeah i mean i when i first started um again i was brand side i didn't really know anything other than we run these ads and we get phone calls and those phone calls convert into sales. And mm. you know, my first job was uh, selling expensive custom trailers um, out of, you know, what a weird thing to cut your e-commerce teeth on, but that's where I learned. And so to me, the connection always was to the business outcome. And then when mm. I worked at a, a an online retailer, they had like 9,000 SKUs. And so we would always track our contribution margin by brand. We would look at our you know, daily finances. And that was just normal to me. That's where I, that's how I learned. I never learned from an attribution first lens. And so when I got to agency and it became much more focused on the data passback and the attribution methodologies that to me was foreign. And so it's all, I've always kind of chafed under that and looked at, well, this doesn't make any sense. Um, you know, when we run ads that work, I should see my top line just grow. I don't need like a tool to tell me that. So that all, I've always been a little bit of a black sheep in the digital sort of attribution universe. Um, and I had that battle with many hundreds of clients over the years. And I, I feel vindicated because it's finally come full circle where everybody's sort of catching on that uh, just because you can see and track doesn't mean that, that you caused anything. So for me, the it's been more of an evolution than a revolution where I really got into it was a few years back. I first heard the, the term incrementality probably five or so years ago now, and everything just sort of clicked into place for me and being experiment led tied to business outcomes being scientific with your measurement methodology, it's like, well, yeah, if it's good enough for the pharma industry and it's good enough for, you know, the political space and all these other places with tons of money flowing through them that are much more scientific, why would it not work for brands? And started to, you know, learn about uh, ad effectiveness and all the kind of alternative old school measurement methodologies like media mix modeling and so on and so forth. And so I've really just run 100 miles an hour in that direction since that time. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's good to learn from, from other verticals for, for those that are, uh, relatively new to operator world, D2C world. Can you maybe chat a little bit about what incrementality is and, and how you're putting it into, into place today with the brands that you work with? Yeah, for sure. I mean, incrementality is just a fancy word really that just means actual contributed sales or actual contributed X, whatever your KPI of success is, conversions, leads, whatever. And what ends up happening in a lot of cases is you have systems that over-index on trackability, but then that what that doesn't necessarily correspond with is that it was causing those activities. And the example I always give, if you're from the, the US and you've been to a a movie theater, um, you've probably seen the billboards for the movies that are playing at the movie theater up on the wall on the theater itself. And attribution is a bit like, especially last touch attribution is a bit like giving all the credit for the movie sales to those posters that are outside of the movie theater. Right. And I don't know anybody who goes to a movie theater who hasn't already decided what movie and what time they're going to 
you know, buy the ticket at. You just go up to the counter and you buy the ticket. Nowadays, you buy it online, totally. but in the old days, you buy it at, at the counter. And yeah. so just because somebody saw or had a touch point of a trackable ad or trackable system doesn't mean that it actually convinced that person to buy. And so the stuff that actually truly converts someone into a buyer, it actually convinced them to take an action that they otherwise wouldn't have, that is incrementality. And so getting at the difference between what's trackable versus what's contributed is an important distinction. Certainly. Yeah. And, and, and how are you putting that into practice today with uh, the agency and the brands that you're working with? Yeah, for us, um, it's it's much easier with certain systems than others. And so a lot of it depends on brand maturity, uh, what vertical you're in, what markets you sell in. So there's a lot more restrictions, for example, in the EU than in the US. Um, there's also, you're going to have a harder time in certain methods of measurement. If you're an enterprise corporation, you're going to have a harder time with certain measurement methods. If you're an SMB and you're say still sub eight figures in revenue per year or something like that. So the answer is kind of a lame answer, but it's like, it depends uh, like everything. Right. But in general, we look at a system, we call it triangulation, um, which I think is picking up steam and the collective consciousness. I've seen that word used a lot of everywhere um, over the last couple of years now, but we call it triangulation where we're looking at platform metrics that are trackable. So things that we can track, whether that's in platform for advertising, uh, attribution, Google Analytics, whatever your kind of tracking poison of choice is. We look at then business metrics, which is, I think, the most important piece. It's the kind of the top priority. If your business P&L is good, then things are probably good, but that doesn't necessarily show you what's wasteful or not. And then the third pillar of that triangle is the uh, validation metrics. And so validation is really driven from two uh, categories. One is experiments and one is data science. And ideally you're doing some combination of both. So an experiment might be as simple as a geo test where we're introducing a new channel only in certain markets. And then we're comparing those certain markets growth compared to comparative markets or a control group where that, that media is not running. That's a classic growth test, right? Uh, the, another one might be an experiment of a certain audience. So we're going to survey certain audience members who saw an ad versus who didn't see an ad. And we're going to do some kind of brand lip study, but some kind of experimentation driven argument or, or process is important on the data science side. I mean, the most common one that's gaining steam right now is media mix modeling, but there's a lot of other simple ones that you can do as well, like causal impact analysis and things like that, that are a one-time quick take 30 seconds. If you throw it in chat GPT to do the analysis and it can tell you with a, you know, low degree of statistical rigor, but better than nothing, this thing probably caused this other thing, or this thing got you in a certain direction. I wouldn't recommend that if you're an enterprise company, right? You need something very comprehensive, but if you're a little brand, you're fresh to this concept, start researching things like causal impact models and uh, regression models. And you can kind of do a lot with just that and an Excel and some AI tools. Amazing. Yeah, I think that's a, a great takeaway for for the SMBs and those that are are just kind of getting off the ground. Um, I'd love to transition a little bit. I know that you you kind of have this uh, holistic view of the market being at an agency and working with some really incredible brands. Uh, what what are you seeing the top brands doing that's transformative, specifically when it comes to data? 
Yeah, I think that having a accessible, hygienic data infrastructure is very important. So building, whether you call that a CDP or a comprehensive data stack or whatever, but having something that allows you to tie together web analytics, media analytics, other kind of external marketing offline, whether that's uh, brick and mortar sales, whatever, and also customer analytics and business analytics, having all those multiple sources pulled together in a discoverable, transformable, human legible view is Mm. super powerful. And so you're able to make much quicker decisions. I think decision-making speed is probably the single biggest lever that brands have from a data perspective. The whole point of measurement and data collection is so that you have good information and then you can make good decisions. And so having data and decision-making that is fast based on solid, clean information is a game changer. If I can make a a strategic pivot or optimization every week, that would take my competitors a month. I'm doing, you know, what is that? Four times as many, more than four times as many strategic pivot decisions per year than they are. And so I'm able to move that much quicker and evolve that much quicker. And so that's where we're really seeing the successful brands double down. I'll give you an example. So most brands don't necessarily know the lifetime revenue that their uh, customers drive over time by month or by period. And so looking at, especially right now, Black Friday's top of mind, what's the lifetime revenue and what's the predicted lifetime revenue that we're going to get from a heavily discounted Black Friday customer versus say a customer who bought at full price in October? Well, in my data at the agency level, I know for a fact that most brands have some of their highest LTV from a profit perspective driven from October because those October buyers paid for full price, but then they also paid the Black Friday discounted price. So they got two orders essentially. And so those October cohorts, I'm advising clients to spend a lot more to acquire them because from a profit perspective, contribution margin perspective, they generate a lot more of actual lifetime value for you, even in the next 60 days. And so having that kind of nuanced view is only possible if you have good data infrastructure and you can make those quick decisions. Certainly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Clean data is super important. What um, any recommendations for those that are getting started on things to look out for or things to do to just make sure that they're building a great infrastructure as they scale? Yeah, I think that uh, don't overcomplicate it. I think that you can do I, I did a post on this recently. I've seen brands successfully scale to over $100 million with nothing but free tools and Shopify. So mm-hmm. it's very possible to do it if you have kind of the rigor and when you don't pay for a tool, then you're paying with your time or you're paying with your skill set, right? You can have a, a data analyst on the team or, or a consultant or an agency or whatever do it for you. And so you're paying something, right? But it's not free necessarily, or you can select, there's very nice tools out there in the world or combined uh, services with software that can do a lot of that. And so they're more expensive, but then you're not necessarily paying for a person to do that. So I just usually recommend matching the complexity of your tech stack with the complexity of your business. If you're a single SKU, seven figure brand, you don't need to be spending five to 10K a month on a data platform. You can just use Shopify and spreadsheets and you're fine probably. If you are $50 million a year, yeah, you need to get serious about your data infrastructure. So uh, that's just sort of customized. I would say philosophically in general, 
you should want to build once and then have it be able to scale. <laughs> I've learned that the hard way in many cases where I've just sort of duct taped an intermediary solution together. And then I, ugh, I have terrible tech debt and data debt six months or 12 months down the road. I'm like, damn, why didn't I just spend twice the time originally to do it right the first time? And so now I'm in a much better, I would have been in a much better position than I'm in today where I have to undo a bunch of bad historic Ben decisions and fix them for future Ben. So build it once to set yourself up for success. Certainly. Yeah. Build it once and build it right. <clears throat> um, yeah. From again, back from an agency perspective, um, I'd love to learn what are like the most common reasons that clients are kind of suspect of data or decision-making based on that data. I'm sure you get a lot of that and love to just kind of hear what you're seeing. Yeah. In a lot of cases, it's the, dis it's the disconnect between what a measurement tool or some other kind of methodology spits out versus what they're seeing in the PL. So the classic example is, you know, we're seeing our attributed performance from a certain channel is going way up. It's getting better and better and better. Like I'll pick on email. Everybody picks on ads, but I'm going to pick on email. Um, so let's just say that email is looking great up and up and up and up and up. Right. But then I look in my customer data and I see that my repeat revenue is kind of stagnant. It's not growing. It's not getting any better. I look at my lifetime value per cohort customer by month. That's not increasing because of email, right? It's sort of the same, or it's maybe even getting worse. That's where they start to say, hmm, this doesn't really line up with what we're seeing in the business. Even simpler, if I'm spending a lot more and I'm not seeing more revenue come out of it in advertising, or I'm sending a lot more email sends and I'm not seeing a lot more repeat buys, what am I, you know, I don't need a data science degree and a ton of advanced measurement to know that I'm probably not being successfully incremental with my marketing efforts, right? And so tying those things together to match the sort of biz savvy PL movement is sort of the first step in that data process and being able to answer those fundamental questions. So that's where I see a lot of brands are struggling right now, more on the nose. GA4 is a huge headache for a lot of businesses. Um, I'm secretly a little glad <laughs> because what it's forcing people is to stop looking at stupid Google analytics and look at their business data more holistically, like I've been talking about and not overly rely on all of the web analytics tracking and conversions and attribution and stuff that's out of the box in GA. And I think that GA's dominance in the space is honestly what uh, led so many SMBs astray over these last 10 years is they learned bad habits from a fun, flawed fun foundation. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. H how are you, um, going back to that first point, how are you tying all of those, uh, uh, all those data points into the PNL? So like when that customer comes and says, Hey, we've just, you know, we spent the X amount on email or X amount on ads, uh, but we're not really seeing any incrementality, how are you, uh, what's the counter argument to that? Yeah, I think that there could be situations where maybe your business is suffering and marketing is the only thing that's propping it up, right? I've certainly seen mm -hmm. that happen as well, where there were it not for marketing, whether it's email, meta, Google, whatever, your business would be crashing way faster. And we certainly saw that over the past year where the baseline strength of a brand, the sort of organic or um, you maybe have heard of like the viral coefficient for before where 
you know, existing customers bring in new customers and you can kind of calculate and model that out. We saw that coefficient go down quite substantially for a lot of brands. And it was just because of, I think, the lack of discretionary buying power and, and consumer confidence that a lot of folks um, had, which is fair. And so market were it not for marketing, that business would probably have been in much worse space. And that's where the experimentation side of the house comes into play because then you can do the proper exposed and control groups, hold out or lift groups, whatever the case may be. And then that tells you, well, yeah, your whole business is down 20% year over year, but it would have been down 50% year over year. Were you not running these meta ads or whatever the case was? So I think that that is important to have that nuanced view to tie to back to the data hygiene though. All of that is doable within an order management system like Shopify and then tied together with some other, uh, you know, PL suite. If you're using NetSuite or you're using some other kind of similar uh, PL tracking software, they usually integrate fairly easily. If you want something that's really good out of the box that I've seen a lot of our clients are starting to gravitate towards, a uh, free promo for you, Thomas, is Store Hero. It's a great little uh, app that allows you to connect your PL data, COGS, OPEX, all of that by product with your Shopify data. And so it's just a kind of a unified business intelligence dashboard for for SMBs that I've been impressed with. Amazing. Yeah, I haven't seen them. So I'll have to, to check that out. Um, awesome. This this next question is a question we're, we're asking every guest and love to, to kind of get your take on it. So obviously, you have some some brand experience and then a lot of brand experience through the agency. Uh, what is the most transformational data driven decision you've ever made? Well, that's a good one. Um, <laughs> I think for brands, it is pulling back media spend. And so I'll give you a recent example. I don't know if it's the most transformational in my uh, ancient career at this point, but a recent one that was very transformational. We had a brand who was historically very ad dependent and they had all these this complicated measurement and attribution. They were using a multi-touch attribution tool that was augmented with media mix modeling. They did a lot of post-purchase surveys and customer analysis and all the right things, right? Like they were doing it fine. But in my gut, it felt too high. It just seemed so expensive from a percentage of revenue. They were spending like 35, 40% of revenue on ads, which was just crazy. Even with good margins, it just seemed insanely high to me because I had that industry context where I see most brands are outside of SaaS, right? Are spending like 20 to 25 and so this this company being 50% to 100% higher than most of their cohort, that stood out to me. So having that industry benchmark data was sort of step one. But then we ran a very quick experiment where we cut their ad spend by two thirds for a week and nothing happened. And then we kept that ad spend light and still nothing continued to happen. And guess what? They became EBITDA positive. And that now I forecast over the next 12 months that, that this was back in July or so over the next 12 months, they probably will have saved close to 14 to $15 million of wasted ad spend. And all of that hits their bottom line. So for that business, it went from they're having to rely on a burn rate. They're having to rely on their investors capital to kind of dig themselves out of a hole to now they have a self-sustainable, profitable business and they can reallocate those funds how they see fit other in product R&D or in marketing if they want to and try to grow that top line genuinely. And so I think having that industry context knowledge and then doing a fast follow experiment to prove it out is uh, that methodology I've seen work well 
across many, many dozens of brands over the last 10 years. Certainly. Yeah. And I think that's, uh, that's a good plug for, for going with someone like power digital as well to have that industry benchmark. Otherwise, you know, like that's a, if you're cutting 14, 15 million, I'm assuming that's a, a pretty big brand that somehow got there without even knowing that they got there kind of thing. So exactly. Yeah. And there's a lot of ad waste in the, in the universe. Unfortunately, you know, it's that famous quote. It's like, I know half of my marketing spend is a waste. I just don't know which half. Right. And so <laughs> I think that that's relatively John Wanamaker, I think is the one who said that. I think that that's a relatively uh, true statement still, even a hundred years later. Yeah. Yeah. Um, awesome. Well, I know we're coming up on time here. Any last minute uh, or, or not last minute, but last things that you'd like to share around data for, for the listeners? Yeah, I think having and focusing on infrastructure to run your business is the number one priority. Looking at inventory, looking at your OPEX as a percentage of revenue on an ongoing basis, see how that's scaled, looking at your contribution margin by product, getting all of that business P&L work done is the priority for sure. And marketing, you should encourage your marketing partners, be that an in-house team, an agency, a consultant, a freelancer, whoever, to operate within that data rather than within whatever kind of platform, pet platform that they prefer to use. Because if you're both grounded in the P&L, then you're both speaking the same language and they're always going to be forced to prioritize business outcomes rather than some sort of flawed tracking software. Yeah, that should certainly be the the source of truth. And uh, I think a red flag if you don't have all of that dialed in uh, before you're trying to scale up your marketing. Exactly. Yep. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Ben. I appreciate the time today. And um, just for everyone that's listening anywhere that they can follow you uh, to, to keep up with all the great work you're doing. Yeah, sorry to all the other Ben Dutters in the world. I, I'm the king of Ben Dutter SEO. So if you just search for me on anything, I come up. Um, I'm just Ben at PowerDigital.com. If you want to shoot me an email, my calendar is public on my LinkedIn. Feel free to put time on my calendar. I'm very open and transparent guy. So look forward to hearing from some folks. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Ben, and uh, have an awesome rest of your day. And, and good luck with the rest of Black Friday, Cyber Monday. Will do. Thanks, Bar. Take care.